Hey everyone, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast, and on today's episode, we're talking about getting drums to sound good in a small room. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about every aspect of this, okay? I'm going to try to tackle as many things about drums in a small room as I can. Um, we're going to talk about some of the big challenges with this, um, some tips and tricks to overcome those challenges, and we're also going to listen to some drums recorded in a small, medium-ish home studio um, and talk about some of the issues with these tracks and what I would do differently, and also hear a track that was recorded on the same song in a different small room to compare some of the things that we were able to fix. Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but for now, let's start by talking about the three biggest challenges of recording drums in a small room. Number one, well, you have the acoustic environment itself, okay? Now, small rooms are problematic acoustically for a lot of reasons, but the primary reason is that the dimensions are just so small that the way the modes stack against each other, you get this sort of uh, muddy buildup in the low mids between, say, well, as low as 100 hertz up to 500, 600 hertz. Um, the benefit of having a larger room is that the modes, the modal frequencies start lower, meaning by the time it gets up to the normal frequencies like 100, 200, 300 hertz, it's much more even and spread out, and you have a lot fewer problems with peakiness and dips and nulls and things like that. Um, so when you're in a small room, there's just the acoustic environment itself has these inherent problems. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that drywall has a particular sound or, you know, some people like to say that. I mean, maybe, but in general, it's more about the dimensions than anything. Part of this, too, is that most standard building dimensions are all divisible, meaning they have, they're all divisible by four in some degree. So you might have a room that's eight feet tall, maybe 12 feet wide, and 16 feet long, or some variant that's related to the number four or two, and they're all divisible. Um, and that's just so common because that's just how building materials are made. And that creates overlapping modes where they essentially double up on each other, and that creates even more peaks and nulls. So there's that problem as well. The other problem is that especially if you're recording at a home, um, there's often carpet, and carpet is not always great when it comes to um, recording. Now, it can be fine, and I know some of you might say, well, you know, if you're in a big room, you're going to see the drums on a rug anyway. It's like, well, yeah, but you're in a big room, so you've got much more to play with there. For example, carpet, uh, that's going to kill a lot of your high frequencies, even, even if, you know, it's not a very big room. It doesn't really matter. It's more about the proportion of the room, right? So, you know, if you've got your standard room that has six surfaces, so four walls and ceiling floor, and the entire floor is covered in carpet, essentially that entire wall is treated, and that's a big portion of the surface area. That's one-sixth of the entire surface area of the room. 
Okay, so treatment is definitely about surface area as much as it is about depth and all those things. So one-sixth of the surface area of the room is, is already treated. So if you can, try to record in a room with wood floors and a, in a, the biggest room that you can, okay? Um, it's not always about size, but definitely try to record in a room with um, some size. The other problem is that because of all these modal issues, um, the room tends to have, like I said, sort of that muddy, low-mid quality to it, uh, which you can help with treatment. Um, but the other trick with treatment is that you can still kill a lot of your highs. So one of the things you can do to help mitigate this is to buy hybrid surface panels or panels with a reflective face that is part absorbing and part reflecting. Um, the best example I can think about this is the RPG Bad Panels or the GIK Alpha series. So what these panels do is they will absorb certain frequencies and reflect and diffuse others. That helps to keep the life in the room without killing too much of the high frequency content um, and helps the room sound a little bit bigger than it is. Uh, diffusion in general kind of helps to do that. Um, the problem is when it comes to diffusion, you really need a certain amount of distance. The general rule of thumb is one uh, foot away for every inch of depth. So uh, if you have a six inch diffuser, you need about six feet of space between you and that diffuser for it to really be as effective as it can be. Um, now again, that's just a rule of thumb. It's not a hard rule or a law or anything, but um, that's generally accepted as a, as a pretty safe bet. Um, the other problem acoustically that you get is that there's just such a small space that the reflections are so strong and concentrated, and not only that, but they're almost immediate, okay? Meaning, if you hit the snare drum, it is going to hit the wall and the ceiling and the floor and reflect back into the microphones, and it's going to vibrate the rest of the kit, it's going to vibrate your toms, it's going to vibrate your cymbals, and everything will just have more of everything on it. Whereas if you're in a big space or if you've ever recorded um, something at a venue, you'll note that the bleed between drum mics is much less than it is in your typical room. And part of that is because, especially if you're outdoors at a venue, um, the reflections just keep on going. The only reflections you really have to deal with are from the floor. And if you've got a rug down there, you're already sort of helping with that. So there's just all kinds of acoustic challenges when it comes to recording drums in a small room. Some of these things you can fix, some of them you can't. Like I said, I highly recommend trying to find the biggest room in your house or whatever that you can find preferably something with wood floors. Um, don't feel bad about putting down a rug. Just try to make it a small-ish rug. Don't make it, you know, this huge rug, unless you have a really large surface area and you, you can handle the rug. Um, but try to get just a nice, moderate-sized rug. Put it in a room with the highest ceilings you can find in your house, which may be, uh, you know, 10 feet uh, somewhere, maybe in the living room, um, and then try to put down the rug and then get some panels and put them on stands that you can move around. Again, try some of those hybrid panels. 
um, the GIK panels that have the reflective face. Uh, those Alpha Series panels look really nice, by the way. I, I think that, you know, any spouse would also approve. They look really cool, I think. Um, well, maybe. I don't I don't know. I'm not much into design, but uh, <laughs> anyway. So the second biggest challenge when it comes to working in a small room is isolation. Now, there are two factors to this. Number one is most people working at home don't have two rooms in which to work. So they don't have a control room, live room setup. Okay, They might just have one single room. That's problematic because you can't monitor things through the speakers. right? You have to listen on headphones or you have to record, listen back, record, listen back, record, listen back, and so on. And so that becomes an issue. Um, remember that isolation is more about keeping sound in that is inside and keeping sound out that is outside. Um, that can be an issue when you're dealing with standard sort of regular walls made of 2x4s and single sheet of drywall and wimpy insulation. I mean, you can lose sound out of the room and you can get sound into the room from outside, from the street, from above, from upstairs, whatever. Um, and so that's another big factor. The third biggest challenge is that you often have limited engineering versatility. Uh, and what that really means is you can't, you don't have a lot of places to place microphones, um, because of the issues with, uh, ceiling height and small rooms, you can't experiment very much with placing microphones here and there, you know, back in the room, because there might not be a lot of room ambience to begin with, right? So it's kind of tricky when you're trying to get this natural sort of picture of a drum kit, but you can't get the mics in a place that really allow you to do that. Um, in a small room like uh, your typical bedroom size, it's kind of just recommended that you try to treat it and make it sound tight and good and then you can add samples or reverb later because at a certain point um, you can't make a microphone sound really that much more distant than it is. We're going to talk about some techniques for trying to do that, but at a certain point it's like this is what the room sounds like. Um, so with those three things in mind, I just want to kind of talk briefly about ways that I have kind of overcome some of these things and tricks in general. So like we've talked about already, there's a bunch of things you can do acoustically. You can try to find the best room to begin with, you know, that you can. High ceilings, um, you know, try to find a room with strange dimensions or, you know, not just standard like 8 by 16 by 24 or anything like that. Try to find a room that sounds really nice. Then try to place the drums in a spot that sounds good. In some rooms, I find that uh, particularly in kind of square-ish rooms, like obviously you want to try to avoid a room that is like 10 by 10 or 15 by 15 as much as possible. Try to avoid that as much as you can. But I find in rooms of that general shape, like maybe 14 by 16 or 12 by 16, um, that's not like super rectangular, that's kind of square, um, putting the drums in a corner can often help. And I can't quite explain why, um, but it just seems to help them a little bit. So try to find a place in your room. Maybe it's not in a corner. Maybe it's, you know, it's probably not dead center. I can almost guarantee that. But you know, maybe up it's against the short wall, maybe it's up against the long wall, but try to find a place where the drums sound best and record different tests, okay? One of the things that you will learn 
throughout this show is that one of the best ways to get better at drum sounds or really any sounds in a small room is to do lots and lots of experiments meaning you record yourself playing or you record a drummer playing and then you work on it and then you do it again you tweak something and you do it again you tweak something and you you know it goes on and on and on whether it's a mic position or a mic choice or treatment in the room or drum placement in the room or tuning or whatever um, that leads me into my next topic there is tuning. Okay, one of the most important things that you can do in a small room or really any room to get the drum sounding as good as possible is really, really be good at drum tuning, okay? And that means figuring out what works best in that situation. There's no set formula uh, for what like drum heads or tuning works best. But I will say that every drum kit seems to have its own sweet spot. You know, a kick drum or a rack tom or whatever has a sort of natural happy place when it comes to its frequency uh, fundamental. Um, it's not necessarily the frequency of the shell, but it's sometimes around there. Um, it, it, it's really interesting, but every drum seems to have a sweet spot. For my kick drum, for example, my 24-inch kick drum seems to be happiest around 50, 55 hertz, um, which is a, around an A note. Um, and when I say happy, I mean it sounds good at the drum and it sounds good in the room just acoustically and it feels good to play. Those three things are really important because you can tune a drum super low and, you know, it might sound great, but then the drummer, there's no rebound, it's not fun to play, it doesn't give them anything back. Likewise, you can have a drum that you tune too tight and it's really easy to play, but it doesn't really work well in the room or whatever. So learn to tune your drums really well. And if you don't know how, please just read up on it and, and buy books and talk to drummers and watch YouTube videos. Um, because it's so, so important. Not only getting the drums to sound good individually, but also getting them to work uh, in context. Meaning, when you hit the kick drum, the rack tom doesn't go like crazy, okay? It's going to do that a little bit, but try to find the pitches where they all kind of sound good on their own, but they don't have too much crosstalk in between each other where you hit the kick and the rack tom goes crazy. Another common one is hitting the rack tom and the snare goes crazy. Um, so for me, I kind of have found those spots on each of my drums where they all work together. And obviously it's not going to work for every single song. It's not going to work for every single thing. But in general, I find that most drum kits are kind of, you know, maybe two trick ponies <laughs> maybe more than one trick but you know they can't do everything there's a certain limit to them now i find that snare drums and cymbals tend to be a little bit more versatile um, but they're also more personal in general like something like a ludwig black beauty is an incredibly versatile snare drum it can tune in a wide wide range of pitches um, it can accept a lot of different types of heads and dampening and tuning and all kinds of things like that. And so really, really experiment a lot with snare tuning and things like that because it's so, so critical to get everything to sound as good as possible. And again, I find it really helps to record it. So like 
tune it, try to get it to sound as good as you can in the room, record it, and then listen back to it very critically and say, okay, does this, don't think about mics, don't think about any of that. Try to think about tuning, okay? Try to think, is the pitch of this drum good? Am I getting a clear fundamental note out of it? Okay, that's a big problem that I see a lot of people, when I get tracks from people to mix, um, I'll either get a really weak, wimpy fundamental out of a kick drum or a tom, or I'll get like only fundamental and no attack. And there's a sweet spot in there with mic placement and with tuning. Um, for example, on kick drum, when you tune the batter head, which is the head that the beater strikes, when you tune that too high, um, you lose some of that click, some of that paperiness. And as you tune that, that batter head lower, you get more papery sound because the head is looser. However, it becomes less and less enjoyable to play, and it starts to get you know, really low pitch really quickly. So you, you have to find that sweet spot where you get enough of that smack and the papery sound, but it's not uncomfortable to play. It doesn't feel like you're just you know, hitting a bag of sand, right? Um, similarly, you have that same sort of phenomenon on toms, you know, like rack tom and floor tom both need a certain amount of bounce just enough where it doesn't feel like you're hitting you know a paper bag or whatever but 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 it still gets the note that you want so by adjusting the resonant head and the batter head you can try to find that sweet spot and again um, be very meticulous with tuning i spend a long time tuning drums but when i'm setting up for drums for a session I'll easily spend an hour tuning drums and then we might only spend 20 minutes recording, you know, but it's so, so important. So make sure you experiment with that. Be meticulous, be picky, try to get things sounding as good as possible in the room. Um, the next step of that would be once you've got things sounding really good, experiment with dampening as needed. Sometimes you're going to have to put some tape or moon gels on the drums to keep the crosstalk down. Um, but beware, because as you put more tape and moon gels and things like that, um, the, the drums will start to lose top end, lose liveliness, uh, etc. And, and in, in your bedroom situation, um, one trick to keeping those drums sounding big is to keep them open, meaning don't dampen them very much, okay? Tune them really, really well, and you won't have to dampen them very much. Um, but that includes kick drums, too. Like, don't stuff a pillow in your kick drum. Try just putting a couple blankets in there, giving that kick drum a little bit of length to the note. So it's not just like, bup, you know, it's got some boom, just a little bit of length to it. Not a ton. You don't want necessarily, like, for most things, you don't want boom. You know, you don't want this, like, 808 type kick drum. Um unless it's like a really slow song or something, or maybe a hip-hop song, but, um, you know, be very cautious of that, that the more you dampen things, the more you will control it, yes, but you'll also kill your top end, you'll kill your clarity and your attack, and there's a very fine line in there. Try to be very conservative with how much you dampen. Now, again, I should, I should mention that I'm not trying to talk about, like, lo-fi drum sounds, okay? I'm specifically talking about trying to get like studio quality results in a small room. Okay. Like when it comes to lo-fi drum sounds like White Stripes or Tame Impala or any of those sort of bands like that, like 
you might disregard much of what I'm saying <laughs> because uh, part of that is kind of the trashy lo-fi thing and the techniques for that are, are different than what you would do for this, okay? So I'm talking about trying to get a good, high-quality studio result in a bedroom. Um, anyway, the next part of this is dealing with symbols, okay? Now, symbols, when it comes to small rooms, often can get out of control really quickly. It helps when you're in a larger room, um, when the room is kind of giving the drums some support. Uh, when the cymbals, when you have a higher ceiling, the cymbals have a little bit more space to breathe. So I find that when you're in a small room, um, you need to generally use darker or thinner or lighter cymbals to kind of balance out with the kit. Point is, try to keep them quiet and thin and dark, and that will help a lot to sort of getting them out of all the drum mics. Because like I said, um, when you're in a small room, you deal a lot more with bleed and things leaking into each other and reflecting off the walls and coming back. Um, and another thing that I should note on that is, um, if you're not familiar with this term, uh, it's really important when you're talking about a small room, and that's the Haas effect. And that's basically that... Uh, reflections under, or I should say delays, which in this case translates to reflections, under about 20 milliseconds, the human ear perceives as part of the original sound. Okay, we don't, we can't separate that as a discrete echo, which means if any of your dimensions in your room are smaller than, say, 12 feet, maybe 15 feet, you're going to have a reflection that hits the wall and comes back in that time frame. So if, let's say you're in a room that's 10 feet tall uh, and the snare is, you know, let's say three feet off the ground or two feet off the ground. It's eight milliseconds up to the ceiling and eight back or not even that, you know. Um, so it's it's very tight. And, and when you do that, you cannot hear it. Okay it will be basically a part of the sound and it will sound like phasiness. It will sound like hollow sort of low mid clutter. It will sound like boxiness. That is going to be a part of the sound. And you as a human being are physically unable to separate that as an echo or as a room sound. Okay. It's particularly hard in a bedroom or a small room because the decay is very short. Okay, if, if there's decay in the room, it's a little easier to be like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the room sound. But when there's no decay, those reflections are so quick and they're coming back into the mic so quickly that it basically just acts like an EQ, like a phase canceling sort of strange EQ. <laughs> All of these things are super, super important. Obviously, um, having a great drummer with great technique who knows how to play to the room. For example, I was talking about cymbals, who knows that you can't really bash the cymbals like crazy in a small room. Um, it has to lighten up on the cymbals a little bit. Not only that, but will sometimes need to raise the cymbals up a little bit to get them away from the snare and tom mics to try to mitigate some of that bleed. Um, try to move the cymbals a little bit higher. 
and make sure to hit the kick drum really strong and the snare really strong and watch out how hard you're hitting the cymbals um, and I and maybe even get some quieter cymbals to deal with that. But a good drummer is going to take care of a lot of that because they're going to hit well, they're going to balance themselves in their environment, whether that's a stadium or a little tiny bedroom. They're going to naturally try to balance themselves in that space. Um, so those are probably the most important considerations when it comes to all of this. Um, now, for an example here, I wanted to play a track. I had a podcast listener send me a track, and they were struggling with the drums. And they said, you know, here's what I recorded with. And to be honest, the gear list was very extensive. I would say somewhere between twelve dollars and $15,000 worth of equipment, okay? This is not cheap gear, okay? And not only that, but the space itself was bigger than, I would say, most people's bedrooms. Um, it was, let's see, 28 feet by 16 feet by 8 feet. It's in a basement, so it did have an 8-foot ceiling, but it did have treatment in the room, okay? And he was struggling a little bit with the mix, and the biggest thing that I noticed was the drum sound. And so I was very surprised to hear about all the nice gear and uh, the good-sized room um, that, it, that was treated. Um, I was surprised to hear that because the drums, to me, were the weakest part of the mix. And so I did a little experiment. I had another drummer friend of mine um, record the same song in his space that I helped him set up. And he and I have worked on many, many tests back and forth, back and forth of what do you think this sounds like? What do you think this sounds like? And he would record his drums and send them to me and I would give him feedback. We do that, I mean, I don't even know how many times, five, ten times, um, where he has sent me files to listen to and I would give him feedback on that. Um, so what's really interesting about this test is that it removes a little bit of the... Uh, bias from the equation because um, the the original sender of the drums, like I said, used somewhere between twelve thousand and fifteen thousand dollars worth of gear in a room that was twenty eight by sixteen by eight, and my friend used probably two to three thousand dollars worth of gear in a room that's something like, man, it's small. It's very small. It's probably half the size of that other room, if not smaller. It's something like. 9 by 10 by 11, okay? It's very small. Um, however, the dimensions are a little bit better. The proportion on the dimensions is a little bit better. And I helped treat that room, and we tried to keep it as, you know, to have as much life as we could. And uh, he's a really fantastic drummer who knows how to tune his drums really well, and he's worked on it a lot, working on head combinations and tuning, you know, sort of sweet spots. Anyway, so we're going to take a listen to this and talk about some of the things that we can do to not only help it sound better, um, but, uh, you know, just just try to make these drums recorded in a small room sound as good as possible. So what you're about to hear is completely raw, okay? So here is our, like, music track, okay? It's just an instrumental song. And here are our drums. And as you might be able to hear, these drums definitely kind of sound small roomish. So 
So let's listen to each of these mics and talk about some of the issues I hear with each one of them, okay? This is our stereo overhead channel. One of the issues I hear with this is you can hear the toms ringing. It's not too bad. I've heard it much worse, but you know, I think that could be tamed a little bit. The cymbals themselves sound okay. One of my tricks for dealing with this in a small room is to EQ them in a special way. So this is a trick that I developed from recording drums for years in a small bedroom. And that is to take a low shelf um, on a mid-side EQ. Okay, so uh, if you don't have a mid-side EQ, you definitely need one. It uses sort of a uh, sum and difference process to EQ the sides differently. And if you're listening to this podcast, you won't hear anything change probably unless you're listening in stereo. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty subtle change, but it makes a big difference. Okay, if you're listening in mono or, you know, phone on the table or something, um, try to plug in headphones now and listen to this because it makes a big difference. Um, okay, so here's our overhead channel. This is my low shelf. Okay, now that's on the stereo overheads, but if I make that just the side channel, I'm going to set that back to zero. And I go to my side, so now I'm EQing just the sides. I'm taking out about 20 dB at 200 hertz. However, what this is doing is essentially making the low frequencies mono, below, you know, 200, 300 hertz. Um, but listen to how it cleans up the drums. This is before. After. Before. After. Okay, and of course you can, I, I went a little bit far, you can adjust that to taste, but that's one way to kind of clean up some of that murkiness and some of that uh, sort of weird stereo image. So what I've done here is I'm actually taking out, taking out less but at a higher frequency. I'm taking out about um, 10 dB at 320 hertz. Before after okay I'm not I'm not gonna touch that for a little bit uh, let's move to our stereo rooms so I don't really like how the snare drum sounds in these mics very boxy sounding it's also kind of strange. Um, to me, this sounds like the mics were placed rather wide because you're getting kick drum on one side and snare on the other more prominently. Again, you can use this other trick uh, of doing side EQ to try to bring those in a little bit. And I'm going to just try to EQ out this, that resonance there. The other problem I have with this mic is that it doesn't really sound very roomy, you know? Like, it's called a stereo room mic, but it kind of just sounds like another overhead. This room might be treated too much. 
Uh, again, this is one part where having the one-room studio can be really tricky because you need the room to be tight and accurate for mixing, but then it comes time to record drums and maybe it sounds a little too dead. Uh, here's a mono room channel. Okay, this one's got a little bit more depth on it. I like the sound of the kick drum. The snare still sounds a little bit funny. In this area, 320. But everything else sounds pretty good. I like this mic. It has a nice balance, okay? So uh, let's listen to our kick PZM. I've got a uh, kick in, a kick out, and a kick PZM. So let's, uh, let's, let's go back and let's do this in order. So here's kick in. Okay, first problem I hear with this is a technique issue. Um, the beater or the head or the kick drum itself is not set up properly in such a way uh, where the kick drum beater is bouncing. Listen. You hear it going, right? Bouncing against the head. Okay, that's partly a technique issue, um, but it could also be the way that the beater is set up. It could be um, the angle of the kick drum, how it's hitting the head. Uh, one trick that I like to do for this is I often use the Vic Firth beater that is a, it's like a cylinder. It looks almost like a, you know, like a donut or something. <laughs> um, I like it because, because it's round like that, it always hits the head at the same angle, which allows it to fit on a lot of different drums and still work really well. Um, but it could also just be the technique of the player. Possibly what could be happening is that it's actually fine when he buries the beater, he or she buries the beater, um, but when they try to do a bounce stroke on the bass drum, there's not enough rebound or there's too much or something to where the kick pedal itself is kind of just bouncing, it's bouncing back against, uh, or they're not lifting their leg up soon enough or their, you know, their foot. Um, there's a lot of things that could go on, but that's that's the first thing I hear. Sound-wise, I mean, it's not great. There's not a lot of attack. The attack is kind of like puffy, and I want it more punchy and clicky. Um, and of course, it has that good old basketball mid-range that we all love to hate. Um, let's move on. Here's the kick PZM. So this is kind of, I'm assuming, kind of more like an aggressive mic that you might blend in um, for some extra aggression and mid-range. Not a bad sound, it's kind of cool, but when you're doing this sort of distortion like this one is doing, um, that, that bouncing kick drum really kind of shows up, right? It kind of exaggerates it. But the mic itself, not bad. Uh, here's the kick out. Not a bad sound. Pretty good fundamental. Um, might be a little bit low. 
Maybe not. But yeah, pretty strong, clear, fundamental. Not bad for a kick-out mic. I like that mic. Here's snare top. Okay, immediately off the bat, I hear that um, it sounds like the snare wires are a little bit too tight. It's kind of choking the drum a little bit. Let me listen to the bottom mic. Yeah, just a little. I think the snare wires are a little too tight, and... Let me check my phase here. Phase is decent. Uh, didn't have to flip it, so he must have already flipped it on the way in. And then I have a snare side mic. Not a fan of that. I don't really see the usefulness in that. I would ditch that channel and use it, use that channel for something else. So maybe a, another room mic or one of my favorite positions, um, OTK. And we're going to talk about OTK here in a little bit. Um, but let's listen to the drums as they are. And I'm going to, what I'm going to try to do is as I'm listening through this, I'm going to try to make them sound better. I'm going to balance them. I'm going to do some EQ and compression, some drum bus stuff, and just try to get a good balance overall. So I'm going to start uh, with everything down and just work on these for a minute. So after we've done some of the, those minor things like, uh, you know, do the overhead little mid side trick. And anyway, um, I'm just going to go for it. So here we go. I'm going to keep the music in a little bit. I'm going to group my kick mics together and EQ and compress them as a group. What I'm thinking is I'm actually just going to pull down the low frequencies on the overheads overall. Uh, they don't sound that great to me. They sound a little bit boxy, and I'm not getting enough clarity. So I'm going to add a little bit of top end to my overhead and pull down some of my lows in general on my overhead.
group my snare mics together. Two different snare drum sounds. Or it appears that way at least. So I'm actually going to split that on separate tracks. So this first track will have like the higher snare. This one will have the lower snare. I'm going to EQ them differently. Maybe it was just recorded on a different take or something. It just sounds different to me. Sounds a little more even now. I really like this mono room mic, so I'm going to try to get a lot of space and depth out of that. Add some compression here. Okay, too much. Let's try something else. Notice, as I compress this, more of those sort of strange details start to come out. The sort of huffing of the toms, so I'm going to need to add some EQ to this. take our stereo rooms. I'm going to actually narrow those out a little bit more with my EQ. And I'm going to put some reverb on them. Maybe a little bit of compression. This is actually pre-reverb compression. And maybe a little EQ.
maybe add a compressor. I'm trying to get more attack out of my kick drum, so that means I need a slow attack on my compressor. If it's fast, I'll start eating into that attack. There's a sweet spot where it kind of controls the low end. My snare still sounds kind of crappy. saturation a little compression drum bus compression now. a little bit of transient designer there. The snare might be a little too fat. I try to control it a little bit.
Okay, so the biggest issue I think I'm having with these drums is, um, aside from the fact that they weren't played great, it's not terrible, but they weren't played super well, um, the kick drum is just really bothering me. So just as another alternative, let's talk about using some samples. Now I know some of you might be rolling your eyes saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're just using samples. Well, one of the realities is um, samples can be a lifesaver when something was recorded uh, in an unideal environment. Um, so let's try this. blending together a couple different samples. Okay, let's uh, let's mute that snare group now. One of the things you might have to do if you're blending in samples is try to remove the snare drum from your overheads. So I'm just going to do some more aggressive EQ. So now my overheads are basically high-passed, and they're basically just cymbal mics. I'm going to pull down some of that reverb. I'm also going to high pass my uh, rooms a little bit, not uh, not crazy, but to make room for the kick. And I'm gonna I'm gonna EQ that a little bit dark. I don't want it so clicky. Okay, let's try a snare sample now. Lots to choose from. How about... Now it's just a matter of controlling my uh, symbols. So actually one trick I like to do for that is to use a de-esser. which is essentially just a high-frequency limiter. I'm going to try to get a little bit more life out of my mono room. I might ditch the reverb and actually try to make that a little bit more interesting sounding. Or actually, I will put the verb before the compressor, see what that does. So here's just my overheads and my samples. So I'm going to add 
a little bit of reverb to my overheads. Okay, now what I'm going to do is actually clear what I've done on the stereo rooms. Um, try to get those to, to fit in this context better. Remember, it's all about context. So I like how this sounds, my overheads and my two samples. So let's see which room mic I can use to help fill this out. Ah, that, oddly enough, sounds really good in context. Um, I am going to EQ out some of that uh, ring and honk on the snare drum. That. And... And maybe I'll try some uh, distortion rather than compression. Maybe I'll try a touch of reverb before the distortion. Let's see what I can do to my mono room. Maybe a touch of reverb on that, and then how about go to my devil lock compressor again. Notice how it's bringing out that boo on the snare once I've compressed. So I'm going to actually EQ that uh, before the compressor. Take out a little bit of the super highs. That sounds pretty good to me. And like I said, I know it's samples, but at the same time, nobody cares how you made your record. All they care about is the end result. Okay. Uh, at the end of the day, samples can be a lifesaver and they can really save the day when it comes to like, let's say the performance was great and you had a one chance thing to do it, um, but one of the microphones just really doesn't sound great. A sample can be amazing for that. Um, it can be really good for evening out a drummer that's kind of uneven and this drummer's pretty even on the snare, but on the kick has some issues with uh, staying even uh, a little, well... I don't know, not bad on either, um, but particularly the kick is like super dynamic all over the place. Like this part's real sort of mid, middle of the road, and then the chorus hits really hard, and the other part's quiet, and then the end of the song is kind of quiet. Now you could go through and uh, draw that in or do clip gain to kind of even that out a little bit, and that might actually help. Um, but for now, I actually really like this sound. I might adjust my drum bus stuff a little bit. 
that kick is just a little bit too clicky. Okay, so all of that being said and done, um, let's go back and hear our original unprocessed drum tracks. So this is our unprocessed drum files. And let me try to level match these a little bit. So it's maybe a little more fair. Okay, it's kind of night and day what the samples and the reverb and the compression has done to just tie everything together. Um, it's really pretty amazing what samples and reverbs and and just small little things can do i'm really not doing a lot i'm basically um you know just taking it one step at a time and trying to make sure it sounds good in context um you know just really make sure that everything's working together the next part of this is going to be interesting because we're going to go back to our raw files okay What I did was I sent this song to my friend who recorded this in his small room um, with a lot cheaper gear, but in my opinion, it's a better performance. It's a more consistent uh, performance, and um, the microphones are all cheaper. The preamps are all cheaper. The room is smaller, but better performance and better tuning yielded a really interesting result. All right, so let me A-B these for you. So I'm going to start out with the original drums, and I'm going to switch to the drums recorded by my friend. Here we go. So one of the biggest things I notice is that the drums recorded by my, by my friend have a lot more focus 
and strong fundamentals on each of the drums. So we're going to take a look at his tracks and listen to them one by one and hear sort of the difference back and back, back, back and forth between uh, his mics and the original. So here is the kick in mic. Notice it has a lot more low end and it has a pretty healthy click. It's not overly clicky. Here's the original kick in. Notice the difference there? A lot more low end and the click is clear and it's not slappy. Um, it's a lot more to work with. If I had a transient designer, for example, and I pull down my sustain and add some attack, versus uh, dry. I mean, that right there is almost a finished kick drum sound. If I put the same exact processing on the other kick inside mic, if I just copy over the plugin, here's how they compare now. So, uh, my friend's kick drum naturally is tuned, a, I think, a bit better with a little bit more low end, and it's mic'd um, with a Telefunken M82. I don't know exactly where it was placed, but I know that he's very meticulous about tuning his drums, and he uh, took my advice about trying to keep the drums a little bit more open um, and really working on getting them to sound good with decay because you have a little bit more to work with. Uh, let's compare the kick out, out microphone. So here's the outside mic. And here's the original outside mic. Okay, I actually like the original outside mic a little bit better. Um, uh, my friend's kick out mic is a little bit wooly, but the inside mic sounds so good I mean, that alone is kind of a kick drum sound. Like, I might not even need the outside mic. Um, and it could just be a placement thing. I don't know. But the inside mic sounds so good. I'm, you know, I only really need an outside mic if my inside mic is wimpy. And that is not wimpy. Um, okay, let's compare snare. Here's snare top from the original. Now, obviously, these are different drums and, you know, different tunings, but still, we can at least compare. And here is the new snare top. Old. New. Notice there's a lot more sizzle and brightness. Um, there still is that sort of mid-range honk, and yes, it is tuned a little bit lower, um, but it, to me, seems a little bit more natural sounding. This seems, like I said, kind of choked and, I don't know, kind of small sounding.
also, I'm noticing that the bleed is much better on this one. It's much, much more controlled. Versus this. Now that could partially be placement. It could be, um, you know, how hard he was hitting the cymbals. It could be the room. It could be, you know, but keep in mind the new drums recorded by my friend are in a room that's half or smaller uh, in size compared to the original drums. Okay, uh, we've got a snare bottom. Uh, here's the original snare bottom. New snare bottom. Again, less bleed. And I actually like the slight bit of decay. It, it seems to fit naturally in the tempo, like, boom, boom, ka, ka, ka. You know, it's not like, ka, ka. You know, it, the decay on how tight the snare wires are. Notice that it's in time. Now, I'm not sure if he necessarily sat there and made it in time, but I'm sure he was tweaking them and made it sound right to his ears in context. And maybe he wasn't sitting there like, is that in time? I don't know. But regardless, it, you know, he's very good at tuning his drums. And so he can sit there and say, yes, that feels right. It sounds right. It works. I don't necessarily, maybe I don't know why, maybe I do, but regardless, it works. Um, okay, so here's a hi-hat mic, which I did not get on the other tracks. But in a small room, I recommend using a hi-hat mic. It can really help. Now, sometimes you might say to yourself, I've got too much hi-hat, I don't know what to do. But if you control your hi-hat, if the drummer can play their hi-hat in a controlled way, and uh, if the hi-hats are not too bright, not too loud, a hi-hat mic can save your life. Because if you just take hi-hat, kick, and snare, like that's a pretty decent drum sound as is. That's just kick in, snare top, and hi-hat. Uh, okay, let's check out overheads. So here are original overheads. And here are the new overheads. Let's adjust these a little bit. So this is interesting. Let's compare. Versus. One of the things that you'll notice is that on the original, you can hear a lot more of those toms sort of huffing along, like... Mm. Versus. That's still there, but it's very slight. Okay, and you can also hear from listening to this overhead how light he's playing that hi-hat.
Whereas on the original overheads, they're definitely brighter hi-hats and it sounds like he's playing them a little bit harder. Versus Anyway, uh, okay, so here's a mic that I was talking about earlier, the OTK, over-the-kick mic. So this mic is literally over-the-kick drum, uh, like maybe an inch or two over-the-kick drum, either facing down at the kick drum, facing the snare, sometimes facing the floor tom, um, sometimes it's more at the rim of the kick drum. You have to experiment with the placement a little bit. I tend to like somewhere around the middle of the kick drum, uh, facing the snare, kind of equidistant between like floor tom, rack tom, and snare, sort of where those sort of have a middle point, somewhere around the center of the kick drum, underneath the ride cymbal, um, somewhere in there. And this is what that mic sounds like. This is a really interesting mic. Notice how it gets a little bit of everything. Pretty decent kick. Pretty decent snare. He had a tom fill or two. Gets a pretty decent floor tom there. I don't know if there's actually any rack tom recorded in this uh, take. But... Um, the OTK mic. It's a really fun one. Uh, check out my YouTube channel so you can see more about how that's placed. But this is a really useful mic because as you compress it, it's a really interesting sound. It's kind of like a room mic, but it's also just kind of like body and length on all of your drums. It's really interesting. It's like you're adding free depth, um, but it's not really room sound because it's close to the drums. I mean, it's literally like a couple inches off the kick drum and the phase is pretty tight because it's close to the drums. Um, but it's a nice way to kind of glue the kit together without using a room mic. That's why I like it the most because it helps to add a cohesive sort of center to the kit because your toms are going to be panned and your kick and your snare are going to be, you know, EQ'd and loud and proud. But this kind of adds a nice cohesion to everything. It's almost like you drew a bunch of lines and then you wiped your hand across it and kind of smudged them all together and made it all look like one, you know, cohesive shading rather than just lines, right? This is a line. This is the shading between the lines. So here's OTK overheads. Let's check our phase on our OTK mic. We'll have to check that with the kick. Here's our kick. Let's check our OTK phase. Nope, better like this. Here's our hi-hat. and our snare.
Yeah, really the only issue I have with these tracks is that kick outside mic. Um, sounds kind of strange. Um, could be a placement thing. Um, not really sure. But honestly, the kick inside mic sounds great. So... Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to add a little bit of processing to this. Maybe add a little bit of reverb to my overs. Add a touch of EQ to my kick drum. A little bit of EQ to my snare. Bring in my hi-hat mic. OTK. Sometimes the OTK negates the need for a snare bottom mic. Because it gets a lot of that sort of rattly sound. I'm going to pull out some of the low end on my overheads. I'm going to add a little drum bus EQ. going to narrow my overheads a little bit. Make them more like, I don't know, 50-50 or 70-70 instead of hard left-right. There is a downside to these tracks, and it's that they're very, very dry. Meaning, if I wanted to have a little bit of room ambience, it, it becomes really difficult to do so. Um, notice on the original tracks that we had, I was able to put reverb um, and things like that on the room mics, which I like to do, because even though the room mics don't have a lot of reverb on them, to me it sounds a little bit more natural to put room mics, and it always has. If you go back and listen to any of my old shows on drum mixing, it always sounds more natural to put the reverb on like an overhead 
or a room mic rather than on a close mic just because, you know, the room mics are capturing more like a room sound anyway. It's an early reflection um, and they're already delayed just speed of sound from the traveling distance of like the snare to that mic. Um, so they're halfway there. They just need maybe more tail or more width or more size or whatever. Um, so I really like putting room reverb right on the track of my, uh, say, stereo room mic. I really like doing that. Uh, another reason I like doing that is because uh, it allows you to compress or distort before or after the reverb to get different textures. Sometimes it sounds cool to distort or compress after the reverb. Sometimes it sounds cool to do all that stuff before and then put the reverb on as like an effect. Um, so that can give you some things to experiment with. So what I want to play you now is just a comparison of um, our original unprocessed drums, our processed drums, our processed drums with samples, and then the unprocessed drums as recorded by my friend in his studio, and then his processed drums with no samples. So check them out in that order. Here's our original raw drums. Our processed drums. Our processed drums with samples. My friend's drums, raw. and my friend's drums process. And just so we can compare back to back, here's the two raw files back to back. First, uh, the original raw drums and then my friend's raw drums. And this is the processed original drums without samples and my friend's drums processed. So as you can tell, it really pays off to get the best sounding raw tracks that you can. Um, in general, uh, the drums recorded by my, by my friend in a smaller room with way cheaper gear, probably a fifth of the price, maybe f a fourth of the price or something. Um, but I think the drums were tuned better. I think the cymbals were uh, a little bit, well, stylistically, they might be a little bit too rock and roll and needed a little bit more of that sort of clarity from like a 80s rock type of thing. Um, but I like that they were played a little bit quieter, um, and, and they were very tame. Uh, the kick and snare overall were played a little bit more evenly. Um, and I like the addition of the OTK mic. Uh, I've always kind of been into that. Well, not always, but for a handful of years, at least five years, I've been into that position. Um, but I do miss that there's no real room mic. So in this particular instance, what I would have done, even though it's a small room, is I would have ditched that kick out mic. 
um, and use that as a room mic. Even if you can't get a room mic very far away, it still sounds different to put reverb on a distant mic. Um, so if you're in a small room, um, still try to put up a room mic. Even if you think, well, this doesn't even sound like a room. You know, it doesn't even... It's so small. Still do it. Try to find a place. Experiment with it. Try it low in the room, high in the room. Um, you know, try it. I typically find that in small rooms, somewhere between uh, knee height and neck height, not like really high in the room and not really low, but somewhere maybe around waist height of your average Joe, um, you know, three, four feet, you know, two to four feet off the ground, to me seems to generally work pretty well. Um, in the studio for a room mic, especially in a smaller room, you know, and you can experiment if you're using two room mics, you can experiment with how wide you place them, or if you do a coincident, like an XY type pair, uh, if you place them close to the drums or far away, the big key here, um, and what all of these examples are here to show you is that this process takes time and you need to experiment with it. It's going to take a lot of experimentation to get good at this stuff, to put up mics and record and say, OK, what's wrong with that? Why does that sound weird? Um, what's wrong with that snare? What's wrong with that? Is it a tuning thing? Is it a mic thing? I can tell you from experience that probably 80 or 90 percent of the issues that we deal with in a mix context are source related, meaning everything before the mic. OK. The instrument itself, the tuning, the room itself, the way the instrument is played, okay, um, the guitar strings or drum head or pick or sticks or speaker cabinet or whatever it may be, the actual source itself, maybe it's not a very good one. Um, maybe you need to use a different guitar cabinet or a different speaker or a different uh, guitar pickups or different, you know, I would say 80 to 90% of the problems that we experience are actual source problems. Too much bleed on your drum tracks? Tell your drummer to stop playing the cymbals so hard, okay? Or get thinner, lighter, quieter cymbals. Um, or try to record in a bigger space, okay? That can give yourself a little bit more room for, the, for those to kind of dissipate. Um, or hit the drums harder, right? Like if you can't get your drummer to hit the cymbals quieter, tell them to hit the kick and snare harder. Maybe you have to use samples, you know, do what you got to do. Maybe you just need to blend them in a little bit. Um, but the truth of the matter is most of the issues we deal with in small rooms are related to the room, the player, the drum kit itself, and how it's tuned, okay? So those are my biggest tips for you today. Guys, I hope this show has been helpful. If you have any questions about recording drums in a small room, about treatment, things like that, um, I will try to help however I can. Please send me an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Um, and I will also say, don't just start sending me a bunch of drum tracks. I'm sorry, but I don't have a lot of time to just listen to all of your drum tracks and tell you what's wrong with them. <laughs> Although I appreciate your enthusiasm. Um, anyway, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our website, uh, recordingloungepodcast.com. You can fill out the contact form. You can sign up for the newsletter, which is spam-free. Uh, there's lots of resources on that website, on the resource hub. You can check out all kinds of different stuff from all kinds of different resources, from books and websites and other podcasts and 
tech websites and all kinds of stuff. Make sure to stick around for more episodes. I've got the busiest summer of my life right now. I've got three albums I'm working on all at once, and I've been booked solid. I mean, I'm booked every single day this month and most of next month and starting to book into the end of August right now. Uh, it has been crazy, absolutely crazy, which is good. Um, but still, it's stressing me out, and I'm really glad I was able to get this podcast in because I've been trying to finish it for quite a long time. Anyway, guys, uh, sorry for my rant, but um, always love to hear from you. Send me an email. Um, I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.